In the second lesson, we hear clear description of the attributes of the first fruit of the Spirit, love. The second reading is from 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Today we begin um, an eight-part series on the fruit of the Spirit. And this comes from Paul's letter to to the Galatians, chapter 5. And here it is. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. A lot of people want to say the fruits, plural, because there's a lot of stuff up there. But the fact of the matter is, the Greek is quite clear. It's singular. This is the fruit of the Spirit. And for me, the easiest way to understand that is to imagine an orange. So you take an orange and you peel it. And what do you have? Well, you have a number of sections And think about each of the sections of that orange as one of these. So if I had an orange, I would have a love, joy, peace, patience, and so forth. The point is that this is a package deal. This is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. Now, for us Lutherans, to talk about the Spirit is oftentimes like trying to grab smoke. It's like trying to talk about astrophysics. You've heard of it, but you don't know much about it. 
Now, if you talk to our Pentecostal brothers and sisters, and you ask them about the Holy Spirit, oh yeah, they know the Holy Spirit. In the Pentecostal church, the Holy Spirit gives energy and excitement and enthusiasm, not just to their lives, but to their worship. And most Pentecostal worship is a little too energetic for us, isn't it? You know, we Lutherans, we just kind of sit there like this for an hour. And, and uh, uh, the, uh, the Pentecostal brothers and sisters, they've got the spirit. And there's, there's life and energy there. Um, but this is the work of the spirit. This is the fruit of the spirit. This is not something that you're supposed to do. And it's not something that you're supposed to be. This is something that the Holy Spirit is doing to you and to me. It's not my fruit. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. If you ask a bunch of Lutherans, a hundred Lutherans, have you received the Holy Spirit? Well, I don't know. If you ask about a hundred Pentecostals, they would say, oh yeah, I've received the Holy Spirit, absolutely. But the fact of the matter is, the fact of the matter is that we have all, we have all received the Holy Spirit. It, it may be a, a quiet and peaceful way, but all of us, Every person here has received the Holy Spirit. St. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now this is not saying the words. This is making a statement of faith. If your faith is Jesus Christ is my Lord... You say that through the power of the Holy Spirit. One of the best memories, maybe the only memory I have of my confirmation class when I was 12 years old, was when Pastor Clarence Carlson had us memorize the explanation to the third article of the Creed. And it was a revelation for me because, because Luther wrote this. I believe that I cannot by my own understanding or effort, believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. But the Holy Spirit has called me through the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, and sanctified and kept me in the true faith. And for a 12-year-old, it dawned on me that somehow God had been messing with my life. And and put the Holy Spirit in me. Because I believed in Jesus Christ. I was 12 years old. But I had the Holy Spirit. And you. You have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit in each one of us wants to do that. Produce this fruit with all its parts. But in Galatians, we read that there is other pressures on, on the Christian as well. And this is called the flesh. The flesh. In fact, as Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 5, the spirit and the flesh 
fight against each other. Let me read this for you. Paul says to these Galatian Christians, they lived in Turkey, by the way. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh, for what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to prevent you from doing what you want. There is a conflict between flesh and spirit. That's true today. Isn't that true in you? You don't have to raise your hand. But don't you find a a, a conflict between the flesh, between things that are self-centered and the spirit who wants us to make us in in the image of Jesus Christ? There is that struggle in all of us. And St. Paul writes, but you are led by the Spirit. And then he writes this, now the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication. Now, sexual sins usually are at the top of the list. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, Factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing and, carousing and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. There is in every life this battle between the flesh and the spirit. Now for you and me, we've been Christians most of our lives. We've been fighting these lives these battles, and I believe, I believe we're, we're winning. Not all the way. But when you think about these Galatian Christians, they're brand new to the faith. Brand new Christians. They've confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They've been baptized and they've, they've received the Holy Spirit. But putting the past behind them was really, really hard. And they were doing all the stuff that listed under the, the, the works of the flesh. And Paul called them to, to something higher. To allow the Holy Spirit who is in them, the same spirit that is in us, to change them and transform them. And move them from that kind of conduct to this, to this kind of life. Let the Holy Spirit work in you to produce these things. Now, how does he do that? The Holy Spirit works very gently. Occasionally, on rare, on rare occasions, the Holy Spirit kicks you in the behind. Can you say that in church? <coughs> I just did. <laughs> See, from time to time, the Spirit really gives you a bump. But usually, the work of the Holy Spirit is slow and quiet and gentle doesn't force himself on you. But those of us who have the Holy Spirit, that's all of us, the Holy Spirit is working even now in all of us to lead us to this. Now let's be clear about something. There are a lot of people out in the world who are not Christians, who don't care about Jesus Christ, who don't have the Holy Spirit, and they're really nice people. 
you can meet a lot of really nice non-Christian people. And a lot of them have lots of these things going in their life. How does that happen? Well, we're all created in the image of God. Everybody. And in some people, that image breaks through. More in some people than in others. And for some people, the image of God breaks through and they've got a lot of this stuff. And they're really nice people. But they're not Christians. Christians are nice people. But nice people are not necessarily Christians. Because Christians are those who have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and received the Holy Spirit. On the other hand, there are Christians who have been baptized, who have received the Holy Spirit, who have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and their lives look like that list of works of the flesh. There are, and you know them. And they bring dishonor to the church. And they bring dishonor to Jesus Christ. And they bring dishonor to us all. But the Holy Spirit who is in you, who is in me, wants to work these miracles in our life. Which is to say that to be a Christian, there are certain characteristics of the Christian life, both in terms of morals and just in terms of character to have all of this stuff going in your life. Now, this isn't going to make any sense unless you're clear that this is not a to-do list. This is something that the Holy Spirit wants to do in us and through us as we allow that gentle force and the gentle prodding of the Holy Spirit to lead us to these kinds of things. Now the first one. We can, and, and this lovely banner here. I don't know that love is a strawberry. I love strawberries. But this is the first part of the fruit of the Spirit, is love. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Love is patient and kind. It is not envious or jealous or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. Love is the greatest gift that God gives. If you want to understand the the love that Christians, that the Holy Spirit wants to create in us, it's it's a one-way love. It's a one-way thing that doesn't want anything back. Uh, How many of you know the, the book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus? Anybody read that book? Don't be afraid. Raise your, oh, I got one or two. Oh, good. One of the things it says in that book is in men-women relationships, in love relationships, men keep score. That is to say, men, they love their wives, but the, the way men function is that when men do certain things, then the wife is supposed to do certain things. And it's bookkeeping. So if a man does all the chores around the house, he expects that 
Even though she doesn't like to go to a basketball game, she's going to go with him. And that balances the books. Now, men don't have to raise your hand, but you know you do this, don't you? And what happens, men, is when the books get out of balance, men get angry. I see some smiles. That's the way it works. I'm sorry, ladies, but you have to understand this about us. We do keep score. And this kind of Christian love doesn't keep score. It just loves without anything coming back. The best example is the teaching of Jesus. Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friend. When you lay down your life for your friend, what can you get back? You can't get anything back. That's the nature of this love. It's a one-way love. You do it without expecting anything back. Many years ago, I had a Bible study class for men, and one day we talked about this, and a fellow in the class named Bob Kokendorfer, wonderful guy, German guy, uh, a banker, very, um, very German. <laughs> and Bob Kokendorfer once said, you know, the, the, the beauty of the Christian life is it helps you keep your life in order. I love that. You keep your life in order. Everything is arranged. Everything, you know exactly where it is. When you're an obedient Christian, your life is in order. And when we talked about this, about this love, Bob Kokendorfer said, that kind of love is not natural. That kind of love goes against human nature. We just don't do that naturally. And he's right. We don't do that naturally. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit can move us to produce this kind of love in our lives that not looking for anything back. We want to love for the sake of loving. We want to love for the sake of the beloved. I love that. Part of the fruit of the Spirit is love. God is love. We learn that in the Bible. God is love. Now, if you can imagine, in the, in the first century, in Rome, you cannot imagine a Roman saying Zeus is love. Or Jupiter is love. Or any of the gods of the Romans or the Greeks, that they are love. That's crazy. They would never think of that. And the Christians came along. And they said, our God is love. It's revolutionary. It's easy for us. It was crazy to people in the first century. Some people say that Christians and Muslims worship the same God. I have a hard time with that. Because Muslims don't say God is love. God is far. God is distant. God, is, God just demands obedience all the time. For us, 
We say God is love. And the Holy Spirit, who comes from God, wants us to make us, can I say it, make us God-like. To love one another the way God has loved us, unconditionally. In, in the time, many, many years ago, in the first, second century, when the Christian faith was a small minority, an atheist named Lucian said something about Christians. He said it to disparage them. He said it to put them down. He said it to make fun of them. It was one of the most wonderful compliments Christians ever received. Lucian looked at a Christian congregation and he sneered and he said, see how they love one another. How stupid. How weak. They love one another. It's the nicest thing that you could say about a Christian congregation. See how they love one another. And the love was so obvious that it caught Lucian's eye. See how they love one another. As I look around at this church, I see a lot of that. I see a lot of love. I know the people here who have received the Holy Spirit have allowed over the years, have allowed the Holy Spirit to produce that love in us for each other one way because we care about each other. And the church needs to do that. We need to treat people with that one-way love so that when people come in the door who are strangers, they find safety. And they find a welcome. And they find understanding. We're just glad to have them. Many times you hear people say in the church, you know, we need more members so that they can help us pay our bills. Ever heard that? We need more. Is that love? That's crazy. That's using people. We don't want you because of who you are. We want you because you can help us pay our bills. I'm not going to join anything like that. When people walk in the door, we want to welcome them for who they are. And if they never give a dime, it doesn't matter. Because we love them unconditionally. And we want the Holy Spirit to work in them to produce this fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. And the first is love. Love tempers all the rest that makes up the fruit of the Spirit. Love. Our brothers and sisters in Christ, it's the greatest. Amen.